All right. Uh, we're going to start this morning with a, uh, a video from our friends at the Bible Project. You guys fans of the Bible Project? If you're not, you need to get fans of the Bible Project. Just write that down, thebibleproject.com, and go and then spend an afternoon because that's what will happen. The Bible Project, let's hit it. They're talking about this word peace. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Isn't that cool? I made that. I wish. 
going to hold on to this idea of peace as wholeness, whether shalom or irene, it's wholeness. Let me tell you a story about something that wasn't whole. I'll tell you a story from my teenage years, probably the defining story for me. Um, I, was, uh, I was 16, and we hit um, a, a really big family crisis. Um, at the time, I had three brothers, uh, two adopted sisters, and my dad had traveled down to Bogota, Colombia to adopt yet another sibling. And I, at the, uh, early on, was not happy about that, but we all sort of like, okay, all right, this is right and good. So he went down uh, to Bogota to adopt my little brother, Ivan. And uh, while he was down there, you know, my dad is a, my dad's a, he's, he's not a city boy. My dad thinks he belongs in the mountains. Um, and so <laughs> it's not accustomed to big city life. I don't remember how it happened, but he was crossing the street in busy Bogota, and he got hit by a car. Um, it was a, a very, uh, very severe hit. Uh, hit him right in the leg, and he had a compound fracture. I won't go into the details, but bone was visible, blood was everywhere, and um, it was such a, um, it was such a major thing that the guy who hit him didn't even wait for the ambulance. He just threw him in the back of his car and rushed him to the hospital. And, uh, and brought my, my two little brothers with him. So we were getting dispatches from Columbia at the time. Uh, they, we were using this new thing called electronic mail. Anybody? It's the first time this had happened. This was before, I mean, guys, I was on international outreaches before then for you young guys. You get to call home maybe once every month or two weeks or something like, and it was like you could barely hear on the phone like your mom screaming at you like, are you okay? Like that kind of thing. And, and it cost about like $300 a minute or something. <laughs> Maybe not. But uh, so this was kind of a luxury. Okay, we get electronic mail. So, you know, you plug the phone into your computer and you just <laughs> like this and it's, and so that sound, everybody get off the phone. Everybody hang up the phones. Hang up the phones upstairs, you know. And, and uh, we're going to get on the internet and, and see if there's any word from dad. So we were getting word from the missionaries around that he had gone into surgery and then that he went into another surgery and then he went into another surgery. It was only supposed to be a trip that would last a few weeks in dealing with all the government agencies to get things finalized, but it, it lasted, gosh, I don't actually remember how long it lasted, but it was months, and um, multiple surgeries. And so this was a, an extremely intense time for us, and, and I remember when he finally uh, flew home, he, he, he came up the, the jetway at DFW Airport, and, uh, and we were waiting for him at the gate, because you could still do that back then, and, and the, uh, the airline employee is pushing up this wheelchair, and there's my father with his big old cast on his leg uh, with my little brother in tow, who I'd never met before. Um, and, uh, and that became, uh, that was just the beginning of a really long and incredibly difficult season for him and, and, and for the family as he would get, you know, things would flare up again. He'd have to go in for another surgery. And it was, I mean, it was really, really intense. Things finally calmed down. Um, for, for a while, he had to have, you know, <laughs> Have your cast in a leg or leg in a cast. He had his his leg in basically a cage for a while, like it was like this metal thing, and it was just you'd see these like screws going like this, holding this 
bone together, like trying to, you know, get the bone to grow back together. I looked like a space station or something, like on his leg. And uh, so <laughs> it's really intense. Now, a couple years went by and things started to, uh, okay, sort of normalize for him. Um, uh, we moved up to Minnesota and he became a pastor up there and things were going fine, but then things would flare up with his leg again and get really, really intense again. We weren't sure if he was going to be able to keep his leg. And it was, uh, at one point it got infected. You guys maybe three or four, maybe even five years after this, it got infected. They rushed him to the hospital, checked on it, and you know why it was infected? <laughs> there was still paint from the car that hit him in his bone. So this was a really intense thing that lasted for a very long time. I uh, am, uh, I, I texted him this morning, and uh, I was like, Dad, how many, how many surgeries did you have? He said, oh, 13 or 14 surgeries, procedures, like he, he couldn't even remember the exact number. This is, it just got crazy, right? Lasted for such a long time. And uh, so, you know, my dad looks forward to the day he gets a new body, <laughs> right? It's, it's something, he, that's going to be awesome. I mean, you know, right now, um, he has an extremely imperfect yet serviceable leg. It's two inches shorter than it used to be. Uh, it's, it's not the prettiest leg you've ever seen. It kind of looks like the club of a caveman or something. Sorry, Dad, if you watch this. It's not. Your leg isn't the prettiest. But, it, it, you know, he has to wear special shoes that has two-inch lifts in them. Uh, uh, so it's, it's very imperfect. His leg is not shalom, is it? Right? It's moving toward it, though. The story has more brokenness, too, actually, because my brother, who he went to adopt, has been estranged from the family now for, uh, for a few years. So it's been a really rough go. It's been a rough go. Um, there's, there's a lot of brokenness, and we wait for the day of restoration. And Advent, you guys, is all about waiting, isn't it? It's about being in this season of waiting for the, the return of the Lord. We put ourselves in the place of those who were waiting for his first coming. And uh, we sit with the realities of our own waiting for his return. And one of the main things the prophets looked forward to, which we also look forward to, is the establishment of his shalom, of that wholeness. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, they alluded to it on the video. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his shalom, his peace, there shall be no end. They looked forward to that as we do, right? Unending peace, unending shalom. An unending string of unbrokenness. Can you even imagine that? When Jesus did finally come, he gave the world a taste of what that was going to be like. And that's what the angels announced to the shepherds that night in Luke chapter 2, in this very familiar passage. The angel said unto them, the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, 
lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an a- there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, shalom, erene, goodwill toward men. And when Jesus grew up, he began ministering. He, he carried that erene. He carried that wholeness with him and that message of wholeness. In fact, he would often use that word after he dealt with a person. You remember the woman who had the issue of blood? Like this poor woman had suffered for 12 years with menstrual bleeding. She went to doctors that could not help her. Uh, this would have been a source of shame and also of uh, a real uh, disappointment and loneliness for her. She probably wouldn't have been allowed to participate in all kinds of ceremonies and things that were a part of the rhythms of their people. So this poor woman had suffered for so long and she sees Jesus and she must have been watching him and she must have had the news and understanding of the kind of power he had because she sees him in this crowd and she just decides, I'm getting to him. And if I can just touch him, maybe... Maybe, I don't know, but if I can just touch him. And so she elbows her way through that crowd and she gets closer and closer and finally she reaches out her hand and she just touches just the edge of his coat and she feels something go through her. Jesus feels it too. He turns and inquires who it was and when he sees her, here's what he tells her, you guys. He says, daughter, That beautifully called her daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in Erene and be healed of your disease. Wholeness. You see that? Go in Erene. Go in wholeness. You were broken down inside and outside. Your body was working against you, bleeding against your will. That might have caused shame and fear and social rejection, but I restore you now taking away not only the physical bleeding that's plagued you all these years, but also the stigma that was, att- stigma that was attached to it. Go in Irene. Be whole. He said this often after he healed a person. And in other situations as well. You remember the woman that crashed the dinner party at the Pharisee's house? Yeah. That was one. Simon the Pharisee, Jesus having dinner. And this woman with a not-so-secret history slips in and everybody starts gasping and pointing and raising their eyebrows. She comes over to where Jesus is sitting. She breaks a jar of perfume, pours it over his feet, weeps, kisses his feet. Everyone is just mortified by what's going on. Simon the Pharisee is concerned with how it all looks. He's concerned about the optics. Because she's a sinful woman, probably a prostitute. Everybody knows it. She's pretty messed up, Jesus. She's shown no interest in our ways, Rabbi. Zero. She's one of them, Rabbi. She's been indifferent to the teachings of the Torah, Rabbi. Plus, I used to teach high school. I taught her in PE back in the day. And she just sat on the bleachers. If you are going to let this sinful woman do this, what will people think? Yeah. Legalism will always do this, you guys. It will always do this. It's always concerned with how, with how something looks. How might this look? It's one of the most overrated notions of our day. Like, if you're kind to that person, 
they're going to think you're okay with, the way, with what they're doing, with the way they're living. That's what legalism says. Jesus wanted no part of that attitude, friends. And he says, this was never his concern. This is like, you know, let people think what they want to think. He was only looking to this woman. And watch how he handles the situation. Luke 7, 44. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's an anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in Irene. Go in peace. Go in wholeness. Go. I forgive your past. Go in wholeness. You have put your faith in me, and I have put you back together. That is the peace that Jesus offers. Do you see that it's more than the lack of conflict? It's wholeness. This is what the Prince of Peace came to show us a glimpse of, and everything he did showed us that thing. Healing, forgiveness, wholeness. It was all intended to show that, that brokenness is not the end. It will not have the day. But the kingdom of God and the Prince of Peace will indeed show full restoration of all things. Nevertheless, brokenness persists today, doesn't it? It persists. Just think of the international headlines, you guys. Thousands of men and women in Iran facing sexual assault and execution at the hands of a willing government, all for the crime of not backing the administration. Thousands of protesters arrested and dealt with brutally in the nation of China. Crowds holding up white sheets of paper indicating they don't have a voice and they never have had a voice. There's been so much suffering. Millions of freezing men, women, and children huddled around fires in Ukraine while Russian tanks move closer and bombs fall, knocking out power. There's nothing but death and destruction for months and months and now a winter. This is not wholeness. This is not Irene. Violence and oppression are the most destructive tools of the enemy and as long as they perpetuate, well, shalom becomes something elusive, doesn't it? Jesus was and is the prince of peace. He came the first time to, get, uh, to give us a taste of that, you know, to, to give us a taste of that wholeness, to show, as he inaugurates his kingdom, to show us the, thing, the things that would make for peace and to give us that peace. My arena, here is my wholeness, here is what this looks like. He gave it to us so that we could give it to the world. And then he went away. And like the prophets of the Old Testament, we wait for his return. We wait for his rule we wait for that increase of government and, and, and peace that there shall be no end to. He gave us a taste of it, and now we wait for his return. Advent is the season, you guys, when we choose to, to feel these painful longings. 
we choose to feel the difference from where we are to the promise of where he's going to take us. Where do you feel that longing this morning? What brokenness is most acute for you? Is it physical? Do you deal with chronic pain or disease that looms over your future like a slow-moving storm cloud? Is it mental illness which throws your relationships into confusion and fear? Is it severed relationships? Is it addiction? Is it anger or lust or fear or hatred? Where, where is it for you? Where do you feel that brokenness? The truth is we live surrounded by these fractures, don't we? Like, there's... There isn't very much wholeness around us. This, this thing that, that, that we have in part, <laughs> we don't feel it fully yet. In fact, we can feel the opposite. We can feel all the brokenness in, in times like this. The absence of the thing that Jesus promised us. He gave us a taste of it. Do, do you feel that desire for things to come together? Think of those broken places. Does your heart long for that, for there to be restoration? Mine does. My heart longs for all the broken things to be restored. I think the world feels it too. Creation still groans, you guys. Those who know God and those who don't know God all feel it. We're, we're all on the same ground we have that longing for things to come together. We have this hunger that we can't quite put a finger on. And You know, I read, a, I read this wonderful book called Streams in the Desert this year. A man named Andrew Arndt. It's about spiritual formation. And he had this one little snippet from his mother's journal. And this just put a finger on it for me. Get this. I love this. This is from his mother. He is the security you seek in money. He is the high you seek in alcohol. He is the ecstasy you seek in sex. He is the health you seek in doctors. He is the song you seek in music. He's the dance you seek in nightclubs. He's the beauty you seek in traveling. He's the wisdom you seek in books. He is the peace who you seek in worry. <laughs> it is Jesus whom you seek. It is Jesus whom you seek. There's this big gaping hole in the human heart and we reach out to try to fill it with all these different things, not realizing that it's Jesus and the peace and shalom of Jesus that we seek so desperately. And this way, whether we know him or not, we all await his return. Whether we know him or not, we await his return. One of the heroes of Advent, one of the best waiters in the history of waiters was this man called Simeon who we meet right after the birth of Jesus in Luke 2. Uh, uh, Simeon was similar to his, his counterpart Anna, the prophetess. Who they had waited for decades to see the promised Messiah. Simeon was an old man and, and probably starting to lose hope, I wonder. Like, would I ever see the Prince of Peace come? But one day he's in the temple and this couple comes 
in to have their small newborn child dedicated before the Lord. And his heart swelled. His heart swelled. Because he had asked to see this child before he dies. And here's, here's, what, here's what happened. Verse 27. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And he blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Let your servant go in peace, he says. Let me go, Lord, in a reine. I am whole now, Lord, so I can die. I was thinking about this. What a powerful statement this is. Let me go in peace. Do you see what he saw? He was an old man. He probably had aching joints. He's probably weak in his limbs. He might have had trouble remembering names. He was probably losing friends to, to, to funerals. Too many of them. Too many diagnoses. And of course, he's surrounded by the same violence and bloodlust in Jerusalem that, that Jesus himself dealt with. But in the midst of that, he simply refused to disbelieve. Simeon was stubborn about his hope, you guys. He was stubborn about his hope. And he would, he would see the Messiah and come make all things new. He just decided that's what's going to happen. People probably rolled their eyes at him. This man who refused to give up that silly notion that all might yet be made well. But you know what he did? He dug his heels in. And he just refused to die. <laughs> he dug his heels in, you guys. For years, he dug his heels in. And now the child comes, right? And he, Simeon, when he sees the child, holds him in his arms. He says, now I'm whole. You see this? Now I have Irene. You can let me go, Lord, because I have peace. I have a reine. I am a whole. I'm, there's, I'm good. He's at peace. Why is he at peace? The brokenness persists around him. The brokenness persists in his body. The brokenness persists all around him. And yet he's, yet he's at peace. So is he blind to it? Is Simeon walking in, in some kind of denial? No, no, he sees it. He's not in denial. You guys, it's on the basis of the promise that his peace comes. It's on the basis, not on the present reality, but on the promise of the better thing to come that he can possess wholeness inside him. You see that? It's on that basis that, that it's not, it, it, it's, he, can, he can look past the things in front of him and toward the thing that God is going to bring. Not just the absence of conflict, but the completeness of a wall with no bricks missing. And I want to suggest to you, it's on this same basis of promise that you and I can receive the peace that Christ offers today. Do you believe the Prince of Peace is going to return, friends? And let me tell you what I think we need to do, okay? You and I both. You and I both need to be stubborn. That's easy for me. I'm serious. We need to be stubborn 
you know? We need to dig our heels in. We need to say no. We refuse to give in to despair. There's lots of reasons for despair, but we refuse to give in to it. We can lament. We absolutely can lament. We can cry out to God. We can ask him why. We can even shake our fists once in a while. I think he's okay with that. But, you know, we must refuse to give up hope that the prince of Irene will return and put this mess back in order. Hope and peace, you guys, are almost the same thing. (laughs) That's what I've decided. Hope and peace are almost the same thing. We have peace on the basis of the thing we're hoping for. The scripture calls Jesus our hope. It also calls him our peace. So we have no right to give up. You see? We have the right to cry out to him. We have the right to, to even scream at the heavens. We have the right to feel all that we feel. But we do not have the right to give up hope because he is our hope. Do you hear me? He is the source of our Irene. He's the promise of peace. Fyodor Dostoevsky wrote this in the, in the Brothers Karamazov. You, you might not agree with every syllable, but it captures something of this posture that I'm talking about. He says this, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of the human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. That's it, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood they've shed. I believe something akin to that. I believe that somehow the prince of peace will have his way in the world. That he will return, I believe, like a child. And I want to dig my heels in on that today. I want to be stubborn, and I want you also to be stubborn. He will come to make all things new, you guys. Do we see it all now? Absolutely not. But we have a semblance of it, don't we? Because in spite of all of it, we're still walking forward. In spite of the fact that we have a leg that's not very pretty. We still move forward. It's not perfect, but it's enough for today. We have enough for today. And we have a promise for tomorrow that we walk upright. He will return and make all things new. That leg will be made whole. This morning I texted my dad, speaking of that leg again. I wanted to make sure I had the details right about the number of surgeries. And uh, he told me, he told me the number, (laughs) which he wasn't even certain about. But then he added this little update, you guys. Get this. Nobody nobody had told me this last week, but he added this little update. He said, by the way, we had our first visit with Ivan in years on Thanksgiving. For the first time in years. It was a really good time. The beginning of Irene. Do you see that? Is it completed? No, it's not completed, but it's a beginning. That just happened this morning. I thought that's appropriate. That is appropriate. It's not completed yet, but the frozen tundra of brokenness is beginning to thaw, friends, and the king will return to make all things new and all things whole. Do you believe it? 
Be stubborn about that belief and stand with me now. Lord Jesus, we receive your holy stubbornness this morning. We should have some of you lay hands on some others of you to receive that stubbornness. I'm not going to name names. We receive that stubbornness this morning and that dogged belief that you really are coming back to renew all things. Do you believe that with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for your restoration, the bit that you've begun and the many, many bits that still have to go. We look forward to that day of your return. In the meantime, we wait. And we wait in peace on the basis of that promise. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. We love you guys. Uh, 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 if you need prayer, our people are coming forward to receive prayer. I love you. Be at peace this week.